Hello everybody at home, hello everybody here. As usual, it's me again. I don't know whether I should apologize or not after, after that wonderful introduction from my brother Jimmy there. But I trust you're doing well. I was thinking about some things as I was looking at the word this, for this week. And I'm very thankful for the people that God has placed in my life that I was able to learn things from. Specifically my dad. For example, for those that are here, raise your hand if you know how to change a tire on a car. Raise your hand. Oh, well done. I've even got some of the ladies as well. That, that's, that's impressive. Well done, well done, well done. Uh, now, hands up those of you who know how to. You, do this, you can play this at home if you want as well. Hands up for those of you who uh, know how to change a washer in a toilet so it stops that ongoing dr- Julie, Julie, Julie and Chris. Well done, well done. How many of you know how to change a washer just even for your sink to stop it dripping? And you say, well done, well done, well done. I'm amazed, I'm amazed at how many things that we've been able to pick up over the time. I used to work at a campsite, and at a campsite, I learned a lot of things. I learned how to drive a tractor. also learned how to crash a tractor. Um, I, I learned how to cut down trees, play with cha- not play with chainsaws, never play with chainsaws, to how to use a chainsaw responsibly. Talk to John O'Hui about some of the irresponsible things I've done with a chainsaw. Um, but I've learned a whole bunch of different things over time. And we're in a, in, in a time now where we've moved from how-to books. I mean... How-to books have been around for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, how, how to cook, how to play a musical instrument, how to run a business, how to play basketball or rugby effectively. We have a whole bunch of how-to things. And now with the, uh, the creation of the internet, now everybody can learn pretty much anything about everything. How to use, I don't know, poop as a compost. How to use, how to, how to change the band in your, in your washing machine. There are so, so many things of, of how-tos to now. But what I do find interesting with the amount of how-tos that are made available to us is the fact that for a lot of us as Christians today, for a lot of us as the church, when it comes to living a life uh, that is pleasing to God, we find it difficult to, to do that, how to live a life that is pleasing to God. I mean, we profess to know the answers to life. We profess to know the answers or the secret to one's contentment in life. And yet when it comes to living a life that is pleasing to God, I find a lot of us today, the 21st century church, seems to have difficulty in living a life that is pleasing to him. Because that's something that I want to look at today as we look at this encouragement from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that we're not only encouraged to live a life that is godly, not only are we encouraged to live a life to persevere, but we are also encouraged to live a life that is pleasing to God. We read in today's text, starting from verse 1, it says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters... We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Here's where this whole idea of how-to comes to play. I mean, we already know that pleasing God involves faith. That's what Hebrews 11.6 points to. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But this instruction here that Paul gives leads on from last week's message, even the last several weeks' messages, just the encouragement to live godly, the encouragement to persevere, this isn't taken on its own. It's taken in the context of the bigger letter. This letter itself is then taken in the context of God's word as a whole. So we must not take just 
each week as a standalone message, but rather look at it in the context of what God is teaching us in the greater, greater picture, the greater context. And so as we look at this particular instruction that Paul gives, it carries on. He says, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, which is, touches on something we're going to look at today, the fact that it's, well, hey, it, we've got the encouragement already to live a life pleasing to God, but it's something that's continual. It is something that is ongoing. So that's the challenge, I think, that is facing us today. We all desire to live lives that are pleasing to God. We all desire to live lives of, of faith, like the Roman centurion did in, in Matthew 8, where he caused the Lord Jesus to marvel. We, we all want to live lives of reliance, like the widow did in Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 43 and 44, how she gave her two copper coins and gave everything that she had. We all want to live lives of, of a one-minded focus to be near Jesus, like the leper did in Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4, irrespective of everything that's around. So then, so then what... Today's message is, is prayerfully an encouragement for us to live a life pleasing to God. The, the how-to instruction that he gives, which will prayerfully be something that we can draw from in our own lives, from these Thessalonian believers, and see how they not only heard it, but applied it and lived it out. So then, let's pray and find out how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that we are able to gather here now and be ministered to by your spirit through your word and ask that the truths that are imparted to us today will not be easily forgotten. Rather, they will impress upon our hearts and bring about change from the inside out. Father, if you convict us of sin, may we not be, oh, Father, may we be sensitive and not brush it aside, but respond in obedience. Father, as you encourage our hearts, may we live in accordance with the lives that you have blessed us with. Father, please teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Thessalonica, where this church is, I guess you could consider that to be very similar to Sydney. Very similar to Sydney culture-wise and society-wise. The Thessalonian culture was full of, uh, I guess you could say, seductive imagery. It was full of sexual pressure. It... This letter questions the values of this society because this society sought to undermine and undervalue the ways and the word of God, which is something that we see today happening more and more and more as various people are promoting things that would undermine and undervalue the word of God for us today, very similar to today's society. And so this letter seeks to encourage godly purity, seeks to encourage um, godliness in an otherwise free-spirited society. Thus, Paul, in his continued encouragement, shares in verse 2, he says this, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. What instructions? And here's the first point. We've only got two points today, which is very rare for me. So I'm looking, maybe we'll only talk for about 35 to 45 minutes, which is what I talk normally. But anyway... I've got two points today, but preferably these two points, they're sort of, they're all encompassing. They cover so many aspects. And here's the first point I want you guys to find out. How to live a life pleasing to God? I call this how to know, number one. How to know, number one. Know God's will. Know God's will. 
as simple as this sounds, you'll be surprised on how many Christians today find it difficult to know what God's will is in our lives, in their lives. And the Lord, knowing that we are but flesh, the Lord, knowing that we can get caught up and distracted so easily, has laid out for us plainly what he expects of us in accordance to his will. It's, 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 laid, it's laid out, it's laid out so, so plainly that it can't be mistaken, it can't be misinterpreted, it can't be misunderstood. It's laid out plainly for us. For example, if you were to, say, look at the prayer of Jesus in John 17, he prays a number of things for the church. This is God's will for us as his people when he prays in John 17 and says that his will is that we might know him. He prays this in John 17, 3, and he says that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That was the Lord's prayer for us, that his, his will be done in our lives. He prays in John 17 that we as the church of Jesus Christ would be one even as he is one with the Father. He prayed in John 17 how he said that we might be sanctified by God's truth. Thy word is truth, he says in John 17, 17. We have a number of different things, which Jono is going to look at a couple of weeks' time, where we have this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Why is it that we find, find it difficult to identify the will of God for us and our lives? I think it's because when we read the scriptures and find it so laid out, we don't like what we read. We find it confronting. We find it challenging because it requires of me to make a sacrifice or to lay something aside that I do like or that I do enjoy or that I want to hold on to. I think that's the reason why we try to, well, not try to, find it difficult to discern God's will from the scriptures. What's God's will for you specifically? That's a different story. That's an entirely other sermon. But God has laid out plainly for his church. God is not only corporately, but for his church as individuals, as people, what his will is for us. And in light of Thessalonica's seductive images and sexual pressures, it makes sense then that he would say the following. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. There you go. Nice and easy. What's God's will for you in your life? That you be sanctified. If you know nothing else about the will of God in your life, know this, that it is God's will for you and I to be sanctified, to be set apart. It's another word used to say that to be holy. But as soon as we hear this word holy, we, all this imagery of a, of a shiny halo above your head, you might see a shiny halo on my, my shiny head now if you don't, I'll work on that. But you, know, you, you think about this shiny halo, you think about somebody walking around, not, not even walking, floating around from place to place, and you hear like angelic music in the back, just, oh. that's what we think when we think of holiness. We think of holiness in those terms, and, and I think we read into that something that's not supposed to be there. You look at the example, and I've shared this so many times, you look at the example of the holiness exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ, where he could meet with people, and talk with people. That he never considered himself, even though he had every right to be above others, he never considered himself above others. The fact that children could approach him and talk with him. The fact that 
he was approached by a leper who cried out for mercy and he showed such mercy. And the leper knew he could approach him. Here you have a woman of a bad reputation, whether it be prostitutes, you know, ladies of ill repute, who would go and talk to him and yet he could share with them the love of God. And not once was his holiness compromised. So I think we have this misunderstanding that holiness isn't about walking around thinking that you're better than. Rather, holiness, rather sanctification, rather being set apart is just that. Set apart for the purposes of God. Think about this. We do this all the time. We set apart things in our life all the time. We set apart money for a particular goal. We want to save something. We, we set apart relationships because we value them other than other relationships. I value my relationship with my wife above, uh, above other relationships. I value my relationship. So we set these relationships apart. We even set apart food, things that we want to enjoy. I remember many years ago, but in 1978, I know this is, I know that's pretty old. There's actually, there's only like one or two people in here that, that know that, that actual year, that were actually there, that person. That's so depressing. But in 1978, I was in Samoa and I was eating, see, for me, my chicken, when I eat chicken, the skin is what I leave to the end. Because I think the skin is the best. And if you eat KFC, that's like the worst part of the chicken, but it's the tastiest. Okay, so, I'd, so I remember my grandma, I love my grandma dearly. I remember I, I was sitting down, I had my chicken, I peeled it. I left my skin on the side because that was going to be enjoyed later. I had set it apart. I had sanctified it. It was holy for the specific purpose of my enjoyment later, that at the end of the meal, I could enjoy it. You know what my grandmother did because she was sitting next to me? She grabbed it off my plate and ate it. And I cried so bad. I cried so She was like, I thought you didn't want it. No, no, Grandma. Yeah, I remember that. Anyway, that's enough of my past and the psychological damage that's done. Okay, but that's what it is. It's about being set apart. Even time that we allocate for others, it is about set apart. In this case, it's about being set apart for the purposes of God, willingly. That we choose to be set apart willingly because of the extent God went to, to sanctify us, to set us apart for himself. That even in our rejection of him, he still made an avenue whereby we could be made right with him. He pursued us. He sent Jesus, even though we didn't want Jesus. He showed me his love by dying for me, and I mocked him with my blasé attitude that I didn't need him. He became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. But as the scriptures teach, we as people prefer darkness rather than light. He valued me so much that he set me apart as the object of his affection. And that as such now, as his child, through faith in Christ, I have received not only the forgiveness of sin, but I am invited to fulfill his will. That I'm granted this opportunity to live for him by being sanctified. And how is such sanctification manifest? How is that revealed? This one here, which is quite appropriate for the Thessalonican society, he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. That you should avoid sexual immorality. We read about this in Corinthians, how, uh, how, how sexual sin is against the body as well as the spirit. It's an, it's an all-encompassing sin. Sexual immorality is so commonplace today, and it always has been commonplace. That's the thing. Like We always sit there, and as an old man now, we sit there, oh, yes, 
Back in my day, man, our day was just as sinful as what it is today. It's just as sinful. It was commonplace in the 60s and 70s in the era of, of free love and sexual liberation. It was commonplace in the 80s. In the 80s when it was just, it, it was like where promiscuity was considered the norm. It sort of cut back in the 90s with the rise of like HIV AIDS and various sexually transmitted diseases. But once we actually figured out a way and how to live with that, it's on the rise again. And in the early 2000s, even today, it, it's, it's, just, it's just kicked off. Sexual immorality is, is so commonplace now that it's affected even the mentality of us as Christians, as us as the church of Jesus Christ, and that a lot of the church has fallen in line with the world's standards of what's considered acceptable and unacceptable in regards to our sexual conduct. I heard the story of a young Christian girl, a young Christian girl, passionate, serving faithfully, and is dating. She's dating. I'm so thankful I'm not a young person who has to date today. Your, your dating life is just, what's the word? Please forgive me at home, but it just sucks, man. It's just it's so, so bad. Okay, it, it's sort of like, it's like, it's like a shopping list where, ah, uh, yes, yes, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's insane. But this guy who's dating this young girl and this is the question that he posed her when she said that she was a Christian. She said, like, I'm a Christian. And this guy says, uh, what sort of Christian are you? Are you the sort that waits for marriage or not? Why on earth would a guy ask that of a girl? Of a Christian girl? Why on earth is, is, that, is that his view of how he thinks Christians view this wonderful God-given gift of sex? Are you the sort that waits or, or not? And when this young girl said, uh, okay, I know where this is going, she basically did what I thought was absolutely awesome. <laughs> Got rid of him. And I thought, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that's the state of how it is looked at today. It's the view that many people today, how, how we as people are governed by our baser human instincts. That's how people view us. That's how people view life. And sadly, that's how a lot of Christians view this whole idea of being pure, of sexual purity. And that's how a lot of people view this. And so they, if we are viewed just as animals, if we are viewed or governed by our basic instincts, then basically we just go with the flow. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever brings satisfaction to me, I'm going to go for that. That's not how we are to be. We are told to abstain from sexual immorality. And, and this is essentially, I'm going to take what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 32. He actually says this. He says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Okay, that's what he says. Now, I know he's not referring to sexual things, but this is the view. People just think that's all we are. The possessions that we have, the things that satisfy our physical needs, and the things that, that, we, you know, that, that we thirst after. That's all we are. And then he says this in verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things. That's what, that's what the world does. We are not of the world. We are in the world, but we are not of this world. Jude 18 and 19 reiterates the same. He says, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. If we're just going to be governed by how we feel, that leads us more into, into dangerous territory. 
into really harsh territory. This is why Paul continues in verse 4. He says this, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. In verses 4 to 6. If the Spirit is present, if God reigns in His church, if the Lord Jesus is exalted and the Word of God faithfully preached and obeyed in our individual lives at home and corporately as a church, then our lives, our homes, our church buildings should be different. It should be different. We should be different. How you treat your brothers and sisters within the church should be different. What you're willing to give up and hold to should be different. What you're willing to do and what you know you should not do, that should be different. How you serve should be different. Meaning everything that I am is done not because I'm expecting some great reward, but rather I do it in response to what God has done for me. We are supposed to be different. We are. I'm sorry if this places an expectation on you that you think is unreasonable, but man, I remember Eamon who shared one time, my friend Eamon Sullivan, and he was just going, and I've shared this before, the church, the church should be the place where gossip should not take place. You get that out in the world. The church should not be the place where backstabbing takes place. You get that out in the world. The church should not be the place where people are afraid to be themselves. We have to put up a front because that takes place out in the world. The church is supposed to be different because we are. We have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. He has set us apart. He has sanctified us. He has made us holy. He has, by His grace, made us acceptable to Himself. And with His Spirit dwelling within us means then that we are to be different. Now, here's the thing. We talk about this, and, I, and when I say should, when I say should, people say, oh, well, you're making appeal to it. When you say should, you're making this unfair expectation about what we're to be like. We are sinners saved by grace. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And I'm making an appeal, not because I'm sitting there trying to think I'm better than you or anything like that, because I know I'm not. I fail in so many ways. But what I do know is this, that according to the Word of God, who has called me to be different, has also empowered me with the capacity to live that out. If I'm told in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know what that means? That means I can be different. That I can live to a higher standard. That I can live in accordance with God's Word. Why? Because it's not about me and what I can do. It's about what he is able to do through me. And with all that has been given to us, it's that when we choose to sin, when we choose to walk in disobedience, when we choose to deny God's will because I don't like what it says and it doesn't meet or accommodate what I want to be able to do, then we are told in verses 6 through to 8 the following, "...the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins." As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. That is harsh, but that's the reality that is laid out before us. 
Galatians 6 says what? Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. If a man sows to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If he sows to his flesh, he shall from the flesh reap death. That's what we're told. And I'm not, I'm not sitting there being like a, like, a, like a mean old man, even though I might sound like one right now, so shaking a stick at you. This is what the Scriptures teach. This is what the Scriptures teach. And this is what we are held accountable to do if we are his children. Now, before you ask the question, well, hang on, Joe. I thought all punishment was taken on the cross. I thought Jesus provided forgiveness of all sin on the cross. Well, this isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about consequences for the stupid decisions that we choose to make. That's what that's talking about. There are consequences all the time. We suffer consequences all the time of choices that we, that we choose to make. Whether it be, you know, though we might not actually like, lose our salvation, we will, I don't know, the consequence of, of having broken fellowship. The consequence of res- resisting the spirit means that we, we become sort of difficult to hear the spirit's voice. The consequence of grieving the spirit means we harden our hearts to the things that we're doing that cause grief to the spirit of God. Not only spiritually, but physically. Those of you, hands up those who are married here. All right, all right, all right. You have, you, have this broken, you have this broken fellowship, even within your relationship with God. And I, I know this has happened. I've been married now for 27 years. For 27 years, and it's really funny how... It's not funny. I'm not making fun. Sorry, baby. Okay, um... But you know how sometimes when you, when you do something, I, I know I've made a stupid thing, I've, done, I've said something wrong, I shouldn't have said, I've done something I shouldn't have done, whatever it might be, and you, you say to your wife, say to your wife, is everything right, babe? Yes. John was laughing there. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the support there, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, there's, there, there's that break in the fellowship. You're still married, you still love your wife, she still loves you, but there's this, this tension within the relationship because of a mistake that's made or a stupid thing that was said. You, you lose that. And if you read in Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, I've, I've used this before. Isaiah 59 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It's that break of fellowship that comes. That's the consequence when we choose to sin willfully, when we choose to disobey what we know what God has called us to do. Okay, so in knowing God's will, I mean, really, do you know God's will in your life? Do you know what's laid out within the Scriptures? Do you know how you yourself are to sanctify, to set apart, to be holy as unto the Lord? Because in each individual life I see here, in each individual life I don't see in the camera, but it's for each of you to respond to what God has laid upon your heart even now. Whether it might be too much time away from your family doing things of no real importance. Whether it be not listening to your children as they speak. Whether it be being unreasonable and expectations might place within your home. Whether it might be friendships that, that are breaking because of a harshness that you take. No, I'm not saying, I'm, do not compromise the word of God in this. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying maybe there are things in your own life that have affected and broken relationships that need to be reconciled. 
that need to be sorted out so that we can be renewed and refreshed in our relationship with the Lord. So, in knowing God's will, and in this case, avoiding sexual immorality as part of being sanctified, it means that we are sanctified to the Lord and to his purpose. Which leads on to the next point. This is the how-to number two. So how-to number one is to know God's will. I encourage you to do that. How-to number two is know that God's will is ongoing. It is ongoing. One of my biggest failings in high school, one of my biggest failings, even at Bible college, in my tertiary education, is that I would spend so much effort and working hard to finish off my essay or an assignment or anything like that and think, yeah, I'm done, I get a good mark. All right, 90%. All right, um, that's awesome. And forget I've got 12 other essays that are due that same day. And think, oh, and you forget that there's so much more. It's like when you sweep cobwebs off your, off your, off your house because you do the really clean. You go, all right, sweet. Sweep a cobweb. Yeah, it's all nice and clean. And then you've got to do that maybe a month later. And you think, oh, it's back again. We, we forget that there are so many things within our life that is ongoing, that needs our attention continually. For my brothers, if you guys are watching this back home, I'm doing a weight loss competition with them, and it's sort of like, okay, I want to reach my goal weight, but then it's like forgetting, once you reach the goal weight, to brag and, and call your brothers fatties. You know, it's sort of like, okay, and then you can eat as much as you want and eat as terrible as you like, which it doesn't work like that. It has to be ongoing, and I think we have such a mentality as, as Christians as well. We forget that a life of holiness is ongoing. We forget that a life being sanctified is ongoing. We forget that, that a life of loving one another is ongoing, of forgiving one another is ongoing, of being kind one to another is ongoing. We forget all of this, that it is ongoing. And sometimes, even as Christians, and I know I've done this, we think that we do something and we think, okay, I've, I've preached the word, praise God, I did my daily visitation, praise God. I spent some time praying, praise God. Now I've got my free pass to live and do whatever I want for one day. And we think we've earned a free pass. No, that doesn't work. It, it's ongoing. It is ongoing. There's a, uh, there's a diet called the keto diet. For those of you who know what that is, um, yeah, well, there's the keto diet where it's like no carbs and all that sort of stuff. There are certain people that have the keto diet because of a health condition. And the keto diet actually helps their condition tremendously. And it's been proven scientifically that it helps people with this condition. But it's ongoing. A lot of people do it just to lose some weight and you know, get in shape or whatever, that's fine. But for a person that does it lifelong, does it ongoing, it's a necessity. This is what we need, the mentality we need to take in our Christian lives, that it is ongoing. So Paul commends this church for their love, but then exhorts them to continue in that love. We read in verses 9 and 10. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, all of God's, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. It's ongoing. It's an ongoing. And the thing with anything, especially when it comes to loving, that's ongoing. It means developing that relationship. It means time spent. It means being expressed. But there's something specific that catches my attention as I read this word that Paul gives, and that's in verse 11. He says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. 
Now, I don't interpret this verse as about you keeping quiet or keeping your head down and being about your work or, or staying out of trouble. I, 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 I do understand in, in, in regards to you doing stuff and doing it quietly, but it doesn't mean that you don't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean you don't shine as a light. It doesn't mean that you don't continue to set yourself apart and live a life in accordance with God's will. What I see this as is about being about God's work faithfully. It's not it's like what, when Jesus talks about, don't be like the Pharisees who pray in public and say, you know, oh, look at me, Lord. You know, I fast twice a day. I do this, that, and the other. And I pray all the time. And I thank you that I'm not like the, the publican over here or the, you know, the, the tax collector. You know, I'm, so I'm looking at Brendan now. I'm sorry. It's just because you're there. Okay? He's not a tax collector, although he does work in finance. So just kidding. Okay. So um, or, or, or it doesn't mean anything like that. Okay? What it does mean is about you being about what God has called you to be doing. Being about God's will. Actively being about. Keeping your head down and looking at, okay, I'm going to do this. If, if it's working as a Sunday school teacher, I'm going to be about serving and being God's Sunday school teacher that he's called me to be. That as a husband, that you are serving faithfully in your home and leading your home and being the, the one who loves his wife and, and doesn't frustrate their kids. That as a wife, that you're not only a helpmeet, but that you're, you're continuing to, with the, the, the ministry that you have to your husband to support him and, and submit as unto him as unto the Lord. That as a, that as a pastor, that as a, that as a, I don't know, that a, 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 game, a, a gamer guy. I don't know why I thought gamer. I saw, I saw Jono and I just thought gamer. I apologize. But it's whatever Jono does, which he's already told me and I've forgotten again. Okay? Whatever it is, that's what God is. A, a teacher, because that's easy, because Eva's right there. As a teacher, that you're about that faithfully to glorify and to honor God and not be so concerned with what other people are or are not doing. If you look at John chapter 21, verses 19 to 22, the resurrected Christ talking with Peter, and he says, do you love me? The three times. He says this, Jesus said this to indicate to Peter the kind of death by which he would die. Uh, glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? Now, Peter saw him and asked, Lord... What about him? This is us. This is us. We look around. What about Simon? I'm doing this, Lord. You've called me to do this. What about Simon? Oh, Lord, you've called me. To... What about Aaron? What about Saeed? What about, what about Kenny? You know what? This is what we do as people. We look around and we're like, what do we or do, what are others doing or not doing? What Jesus says to Peter here is the same thing he says to us. If you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is the challenge that's given to us. Instead of looking around at what people are or are not doing, instead to follow him. For me in my life to be concerned about being sanctified. For me in my life to be sexually pure. For me in my life to continue to do faithfully what God has called me to do. That's what I'm to be concerned with. Not to worry about those other things or what they are or are not doing, but to be consumed with that. Does that make sense? Because that's the challenge, that's the challenge that is laid before us. And, and while verse 11 can be applied to physical happenings, it's just as applicable to you and I now. 
to not allow trivial or secondary or difficult happenings to take my eyes off Jesus and what Jesus has called me to do. For when, when we're concerned with the Lord, what we find is, as it says in verse 12, that our daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So, so, in order to live lives pleasing to God, it is important for me to stress two things. One, that you know what God's will is. That you know that it's God's will for you and I to be set apart. 1 John, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. That you know that it's God's will to suffer for what is doing right. For, sorry, for doing what is right as a child of God. 1 Peter 4, 16 to 19. That you know that it's God's will to go into all the world and preach the gospel, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. That you know that it's God's will for you and I to stand steadfast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, Galatians 5.1. But it's more than just knowing it, it is acting on it. That if it's God's will to be set apart, well then that means I must then take matters into my hands to set myself apart in various things, to make sure I don't watch things I know will be detrimental to what I think about when it comes to the things of God, the things that I listen to, the things that I read. I must have to take those things into account. To, to, to know my own weaknesses and my own failings and, and where those affect me and my relationship with him. That I will be faithful, faithful in standing for the gospel so that insults fall off me, that I'm not concerned with what the world thinks of me, but rather I might please him who has called me to be his child. That I might be sensitive to his spirit to take his message out to a, a lost world and not just, as well as to my neighbour, and that I live governed by his spirit in every situation. So that's the first thing, to know what God's will is and to know that God's will is ongoing. To know that it's, it's continual, to know that it's dynamic, to know that it's not static, that to the, the development of one's relationship with Jesus, of one being with Jesus close and, and intimate and being ministered to by him, and that the transformation is ongoing. The transformation is ongoing. It's going to keep going even till the day I die, until the Lord returns back to get us. It's going to be ongoing. I think if you know that, I think if you know that, I remember many years ago, uh, there was a guy named Jimmy. Jimmy, not, not, not Jimmy here, was a, back, oh, this was back, way back in the day when I was playing first 15 rugby. Okay? And so he took us, Jimmy, he was a representative rugby player. He was maybe two years older than me. And he took our, our rugby team. And he trained us. And um, it's, only the one of the, it's one of the very few times I've vomited at a training session. Because he just run us ragged. It was just running. And all the whole time, I'm wondering, wow, this is hard. This is hard work. And it was. It was a lot of hard work. I reaped the benefits of it later. I don't remember what they are. But I remember I reaped the benefits of it later. Um, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you know what's required, then you'll endure. For example, I said to the church today, I've got two points. I've done two points. They all know that I'm about finished. They all know. That's why they're smiling right now. And you at home know as well, you've probably already switched me off. That's okay. <laughs> but you know, when you know what, what you're in for, you know what to prepare for. You know what to do. We are told here what we're prepared for. We know where to be sanctified and we know it's ongoing. 
So we shouldn't be surprised of the expectation that's placed upon us as his child. And that's the challenge that's laid before us. So I pray, I pray that today, as you read through this again, the whole book again, I pray that you will be encouraged, encouraged the fact that God has made known to us his will, that God has also said to us that it's an ongoing will, that it doesn't stop, it continues, but even in that continuation, he has given us the means by which it can be done. So with that, brothers and sisters, I'll ask you to be upstanding. You don't have to at home. Um, bow your heads and we'll close in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace, for the fact that you have taken into account our own weaknesses and our own failings by laying out for us plainly within the pages of Scripture what your will is, what your desire is for us as your children. And I pray that you will stir within our hearts a desire to know that will even more intimately, to know you more as our God, as our Saviour, and as our friend. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you now and ask that as we leave this place, as we turn off our computers, as we stop watching this online, that you will challenge our hearts to discover your will that is found within Scripture, that the truths that you lay upon our heart from that search, that we will be bold and courageous enough to follow through on and live out. Father, that you might make us more like your son as we submit, as we yield to your will, to your heart, and to your word. We ask you to dismiss us now in the name of our mighty Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home. God bless. Take care. And we'll see you next week.